0: As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. another your financial mission happening right now Walter Shorholt here with Janine Theus the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors your financial commander serving you throughout Columbia and Howard County you can find Janine online at theuswealthadvisors.com that's theuswealthadvisors.com Janine hope you are doing well and although we're not recording today's program in 2019 by the time we actually publish and send this out to everybody, this is our New Year's episode, so Happy New Year to you.
1: Happy New Year to you, too. <laughs>
0: in the podcast world, it's funny because you're often taping things in advance, obviously. we're not, You're not listening to the program live, so we have to sometimes pretend that we're already in places that we aren't, right? <laughs>
1: (laughs) That's right. Did you have a good New (laughs) Year's? We're looking forward. (laughs) Did did you enjoy your New
0: Year's that you haven't actually done yet? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It makes the small talk difficult sometimes, but we like to have fun with it, and hopefully you get a kick out of it as well. We've got a good show to start off your new year, as we're going to be getting uh, a good news headline to talk about, something that was kind of at the tail end of 2018 that was a worthwhile conversation to bring up as we head into the new year. We've got a great email question in from Phil that we're going to go over. And we're going to talk about a very important topic on today's program, risk tolerance. One of these financial buzzwords you've probably heard about in the past. We're going to give you the straight skinny on that subject straight ahead on today's show. But as we mentioned, first, we need to see what's happening in the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. And this recent headline, Janine, came to us at the end of uh, of last year, of course. But after losing 90% of its value in about 12 months, sears stock trading below a dollar pretty incredible i grew up actually not too far from one of the you know sears catalog enormous you know humongous warehouse stores but it had closed down when i was a youngster and it just sat there empty building for years and years and years and years and years i want to say they eventually turned it into a mall but it sat there vacant for a really really long time What does this tell you about our economy when a retail icon like Sears can't survive a strong economy that we're in right now?
1: Well, see, this is a really interesting question because it isn't the economy that is Sears' problem. Yes, I think our economy is operating on all cylinders. And if you listen to, I believe it's Steve Moore, former economic advisor, he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. So end of 2018 into 2019, he's saying we're going to really explode economically. The problem with Sears is Sears made a tactical error, or actually a strategic error, in what it chose to focus on. And I remember Sears as a kid, if it hadn't been for Sears, we all wouldn't have had shoes. Uh, I think they were (laughs) one of the first tours to allow um, revolving credit. I remember my parents saying, my mom saying, if it weren't for that, you know, we couldn't have put shoes on your feet and a a few other things because it was a mainstay for American family. You know, it really is a big part of Americana, you know, the nostalgic past, but they didn't choose to move into the social media space. I read something recently that I thought was very interesting. They could have been the first Amazon. And if they had moved that way into the internet space, like Amazon ended up doing, because what does Amazon do? They're giving you all the stuff that Sears used to.
0: Yeah. And think of the physical footprint that Amazon, even though they're a digital company, still takes up with the warehouses and all those things. They're the ones taking over
1: those huge warehouses. Yeah, they already had it all in place. They had it right there. Exactly. So if they had made that decision to move in that direction, they could have, and, and I think Jeff Bezos actually made this comment, that they could have been, Amazon wouldn't have happened or developed the way it did if Sears had made that move. Which is really interesting because if you think back many, 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 many years, IBM did not think the personal laptop or the personal computer on the desktop was going to take off. Hmm. So they were actually behind in getting into personal computing. And that's why it left a door open for Microsoft and Steve Jobs and those guys to build an empire, if you will, because they made that strategic era. And then they had to do big catch up. But this is the same story for Sears really. And it's really unfortunate because they were such a mainstay for, what, 106 years plus? (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. So don't let it get spun that just because a company is struggling, it doesn't necessarily expand to the rest of the economy.
1: Right. Because I think what's happening now, you've got, well, you know, technology is changing so fast. If you buy a laptop, in fact, I just got a new laptop earlier this year because my husband, who keeps up with this stuff, said your laptop's 4 years old my other laptop and I went yeah so it still works
0: yeah <laughs> and yeah. he
1: said it's not fast enough and it's starting to bog and you know the terabytes of memory and all this other stuff that's developing so quickly if you're a company that relies on you know consumer responses and consumer interaction like that you better be keeping up and you yeah. better be looking forward yeah so it's unfortunate for Sears it
0: is. But. It is. There's a reason that none of these things last very long these days. That was the other problem that Sears probably had. That they were making good stuff for a while, right? They were making things mm-hmm. that lasted for 30 years, right? You know, your yep. old washer and dryer that lasted for 30 years and, you know, all that well, well that's silly. No one's going to rebuy anything. Let's make stuff that lasts for 2 to 3 years and then they have to rebuy it quickly. <laughs>
1: exactly right. I mean, now when you've got solid state components in your washer and your dryer. I mean, my, my, I bought new ones, they're Samsungs and they sing to me. I don't like it. My parents hate it.
0: They hate (laughs) it. (laughs) They're trying to get me to take their washer and dryer because they uh, can't stand the song. I was uh, visiting them. I was visiting them over the holidays, Janine, and it was so funny. Mom was doing some laundry, and it, it starts doing its little song. And my mom goes, "There it goes," thinking it just did a wonderful job singing away. It all it did was its job. You know, it doesn't have to throw a parade and have a part. You know, she goes on to this like tearing into millennials and how you shouldn't get applauded for just doing the right thing and doing your job. You know, just you're doing what you're supposed to do. Quit acting like you've just won a marathon and.
1: That's hilarious because that's so true. That's I was just thinking that this weekend.
0: <laughs> I, I spent like three hours trying to figure out how to turn it off. I even called the company and customer support. I was Googling and looking online and it's impossible. It's not a feature where you, that you can just like turn off. So we, yeah. we'd probably like have to go get into, into your the car components. and turn off the
1: lady that's telling you to you know, put your seatbelt on. Exactly,
0: exactly. (laughs) Well, that's funny because old washers and dryers, right? You used to be able to say, I don't want the alarm to go off. I don't want the buzz, right? It was the buzz. I don't want it. And now they've got these long songs and, you know, now some people love it. They love it. They're like, oh, I love the little song. Everyone in our family, they start singing when it goes off. (laughs) (laughs) My thing is like... I
1: think I'd rather take the...
0: Or if it was just a... Do You know, if it was three yeah. or four seconds, but it goes on for like 15, 20, 30 seconds sometimes. Yeah,
1: know. it's pretty crazy. I guess they want to make sure you hear it.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> Just want to brighten your day with the music coming from your, or maybe at least let me preload my own songs onto it, right? That's probably oh, the next that thing, cool. isn't it? That'd be a cool feature. Like a ringtone, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. That,
0: your laundry is done. Come get your laundry. And then have some little chime that plays, Yeah. Oh boy. Hey, <laughs> stay we,
1: tuned. That's probably coming. We've got a we've got an
0: idea here. We need to go to the patent office, I think, Janine. We've yeah. got we've got something good here. All right, so there you go. That's what's happening in the news. Sears, as we kind of look back, that was one of the big stories of 2018 from an economic standpoint, and I think it's still good to keep in mind as we head into the new year as well. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. right, we're opening up the mailbag now for our first question of the new year from one of you. If you'd like to submit a question to the mailbag, you can do that by going to TheusWealthAdvisors.com. That's TheusWealthAdvisors.com. Just look on the website for where you can ask your questions. Phil is writing in, Phil says, no matter what I do, I can't seem to get my wife engaged in our financial planning. Is that okay or do I need to figure out a way to get her involved?
1: What a great question. It is difficult. Because since I'm a woman, I guess I can say this. A lot of women are not interested. (laughs) They're just not. They don't want to do the numbers. Maybe they paid the bills for many, many years. I just had a couple in here recently. She goes, I did all this. I did the taxes. I paid the bills. I did everything, you know, for 30 years because, you know, he was a naval officer and he was gone and traveling and she did. I did all this. And now it's his turn. And I don't want to know about it. (laughs) And I said, well, it's really important that at least conceptually, you know where everything is and how to get to it. right? Because statistically speaking, women are going to outlive men or do outlive men. So the government knows that. And you need to understand at least conceptually, the bigger picture and where you're going and how your money's invested. It needs to make sense to you. If it doesn't, it's a really important to have that conversation. A lot of women don't want to be bothered because they I have a doctor who said, "Don't care, that's why I'm hiring you." <laughs> when I asked if she watched one of my presentations that you know that I was on my website, "Did you watch that?" She goes, "Don't care." <laughs> so, she goes, "I want you to figure this out for me." I nice. go, "Okay." <laughs> So, I mean, I laugh and I understand it because there was a time when I was really involved with kids and everything else I was doing. You know, my husband was kind of taking care of it. But I saw what happened, you know, when my brother was killed in 96. Luckily, my sister-in-law's parents, they were already in retirement. They moved to the area to help her. But, you know, we as a family kind of pulled the information together so she could at least understand where it was. But she didn't have a clue. Hmm. and that There's a lot of stories like that, too. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of stories. and Or there actually was a couple that came in, and he has stuff invested everywhere. She doesn't understand it at all. And so I said, well, you just need to know if something happens to him, you can just come in to me and we'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> But, you know, a lot of women, it's just not what they're interested in. And nobody has said to them, let's just look at this globally. Okay, here's this, here's this, here's this. This is how this works. I can tell you 50 years of research in three minutes. This is how this works. So now you can invest and worry less, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: okay? Or this is how this should work. Now if you have all these other money decisions, this is how we can attack them or approach them. But a lot of the industry has things so convoluted and complicated, that's why they're not interested. Because nobody's made it personal. And it doesn't really become personal until something happens. Yeah. You know, getting your spouse in here and saying, look, it's just a conversation.
0: Yeah. Well I think that's that's, really that's the key yeah. though, right is don't make it some big grandiose scary thing right you know, I can I can share the personal anecdote that my wife is not hugely into the finances. Now she's the frugal one. I'm the spender. And so I mean, I'm just completely blessed with a non-high maintenance frugal wife. And I have to be the one that's, you know, checking myself. I'm like, boy, if she ever does look at the finances, she's gonna yell at me for how many <laughs> trips to Dunkin' Donuts I'm taking, you know, while she's packing her lunch and I'm going out to eat for lunch and all this, you know, So, you know, I gotta be careful there. But She just is so busy right now finishing up grad school, you know, life just very hectic for her. It's like, you know what, I trust you to handle everything, so you just let me know if there's a problem, and, you know, that's it. She's very hands-off when it comes to it, but I know from hosting this show with you for so long that, you know, that's not the right route to take as a unit. And so what we've devised is a plan where basically, you know, it's not the style that I grew up watching my parents once a month, sit down and for four hours one evening, hammer out all the bills and go through their statements and their budgets and looking all all of those details. It's not that, but it's right. something that I think works for us. And so what I do is on the first of every month, I have a little reminder on my calendar. I take about, you know, 30 minutes or so. And then I send her a long, long email that breaks down all of our kind of just financial situation, where we stand on, you know, paying off certain things, what the mortgage is looking like. If we were to move in a year, what our potential, you know, accumulated down payment for a home would be, if we're on track or not with our retirement accounts, here's what's happening with this, an explanation for why this went down or this went up, you know, just things that are on the horizon. And I kind of just give a full picture then I know she can read that one anytime that she wants. So it's not like, We're trying to have a money conversation, and it's just not a good time, right? So she's got that sitting there for her, ready to read and digest when she's got a couple of free minutes. And it doesn't have to be like we're both in the mood to talk about it, right? So it's just there when she needs it. But then two, she saves it in a folder, and she's got now this track record of our financial life now it's not probably realistic that you know if something happened to me it's not like she's going to print off you know 70 months worth of emails and (laughs) hand them over to a financial advisor but i think that it serves as a nice record to see our way of approaching money how things have evolved where things stand so that if something did happen to me and she took it into an advisor she would be able to say you know here is is what we had been doing and it shows that she's been involved in the process is familiar with at least some steps of the process now i think when she's done with grad school you know i think she'll have a little bit more free time (laughs) as she just becomes sort of a normal working person and not you know a crazy grad school person and we'll probably have more time to have verbal conversations about these things but hey for now that's sort of our solution to this problem that paul's having
1: well and that's a great story because what you find is again nothing is static in life and so you're doing this now and maybe she takes over it for a while or that you know there's a transition that occurs between the two of you the biggest point is that you guys are communicating and what i see a lot of times is on finances couples don't communicate or there just is a not just finances a mindset, either, right? <laughs> there's a mindset about money, there's a mindset about spending, there's a mindset about how you should be invested or not. And you know, if you can work it out, great. And that would be the important thing. But sometimes it can be a point of contention or acrimony. <laughs> <laughs> but the main thing is that you should be communicating about what expenditures are important, what the goals long term are. For both of you and you know if somebody's consistently saying well I'm gonna go do this well I'm gonna go do this well I'm gonna do this okay there might be a little trouble in the marriage because <laughs> mm. <laughs> if you're not saying we it's a problem
0: <laughs> yes yes so,
1: but I mean getting your wife in or to sit down and at least talk about some of this maybe she has some fears based on how she, what she saw her parents doing yeah and if those conversations between her parents led to fights you know for her the force field goes up
0: Yes, or maybe it was a lack of conversation. I know my wife just grew up in a totally different home, and so her parents didn't have those conversations. It was much more private but more I won't even call it private it was just more unseen it just it wasn't something she was exposed to whereas uh, you know my parents involved me in the discussions I mean like not maybe to all the level of detail of you know here's my paycheck this month Walt what do you think seven-year-old but (laughs) they would have the conversations openly at the dinner table you know they wanted it to be seen them working together communicating having disagreements to show that it's okay to have an argument now and then. So I grew up with that lens, whereas my wife didn't grow up with that lens. And so we have to find a way of communicating that makes us both comfortable and make things work. And I think we've found that, you know, and have found a way to have that gel for now. So Phil, it's really just finding what level of communication can you find to connect with your wife on financial topics? Can you meet her in the middle somewhere on her turf to help provide some of that information, take that responsibility to do that?
1: Yeah, because if she doesn't want to be engaged, there's a reason. There's an underlying reason somewhere that is prohibiting her from being comfortable with the whole topic. There are a lot of people who grew up where the families never talked about money, never. And by the way, I would encourage everybody to understand that you are the first teacher as a parent and this is a subject you need to teach.
0: Or a grandparent. Um, Right. I learned a lot of financial lessons from my grandparents.
1: Yeah, because if they're not going to teach... They don't teach uh, unless you take a business class, even in high school, they don't teach what happens with credit cards with overexposing yourself in terms of debt, and you know that money's a tool. Learn to use the tool properly and that you have obligations and responsibilities, and that should start in the home. Unfortunately, it doesn't always start in the home yeah. because people, you know, for whatever reason, have these different mindsets about money,
0: yeah. Very good points. I think we could continue probably talking about that for a while, but I think we hammered it into the brown, ground pretty we'll have good. we
1: come back and do a topic of money demons.
0: <laughs> yeah, money demons. I like that. That's a good show right there. I'm going to add that to the list. An upcoming <laughs> topic right there. Here's your promo, money demons coming up on, yeah. <laughs> on uh, your financial mission. So good question, Phil. Thank you for sending that one in. Again, you can submit your questions online at theuswealthadvisors.com. And you don't have to ask a question to the show. You can just ask questions to Janine directly. We don't have to feature Here on the program, if you don't want. TheusWealthAdvisors.com Some people get scared and don't want to have a question public, and that's fine. Uh, You can also call Janine if you've got questions. 443 718 6311. That's 443 718 6311. All right, Janine, to wrap up our show today, let's talk about this buzzword in the financial world. It's called risk tolerance. And I think anybody who is an advisor, if they're worth their salt, they're going to have a conversation with you about risk. But what in the world is this little addition, risk tolerance, that they throw in there? It somehow takes this word that's very easy to understand, risk, and flips it around and makes it more complicated, right? Risk tolerance. What does that really mean? It's a buzzword that gets to use a lot in meetings, uh, Janine, but we have found that a lot of people don't have a great understanding of what their risk tolerance is and how it truly impacts their financial plans and their financial situation so I want to fix that give people the 411 on risk tolerance so let's just start with the basics how do you describe risk tolerance to somebody who's not familiar with that concept
1: essentially risk tolerance is what are you in the pit of your stomach willing to sustain or undergo or put up with or deal with in the investing sense when it comes to your investments So I have a picture of a roller coaster up on one of my boards here, and it's not the anaconda, (laughs) but it shows some pretty big loops up there, high and then low, peaks and valleys. And typically people will understand risk tolerance is, it really should be loss tolerance in some particular concept, because how much, if your portfolio goes down a certain amount, is that too much for you? It's a sleep quotient. Can you sleep at night if you're poor? Like this year has been a roller coaster ride. And a lot of people have gotten a little bit upset about that, especially as they're closer to or in retirement, because that's really hard to tolerate. If you don't understand how the risk numbers work, then you have to sit down and understand what the roller coaster is. And that's how high and how low is normal for a portfolio based on how you are allocated. And a lot of people don't really explain that very well. So I usually get an understanding of somebody's risk tolerance by talking with them for a while, an extended period of time, and asking a lot of questions and then saying, what happened in 2008? How did that feel? Do you want to do that again? Why do you think it happened like that? Because if you can understand how a portfolio allocation can offset that risk, then you're gonna be a little, a lot more comfortable with the investing side. But a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. And then the other thing they do, because they chase return, or they do track record investing, which is, oh gosh, this fund did great last year, so I wanna be in that fund. So now you're chasing a return. Well, that's a risk. And it's a risk for which you are not compensated. And a lot of people go there because that's what the financial media is constantly pushing. It's, you need this fund, you need this stock, because the stock is here and it's going to be here, it's going to be here. So you're chasing, and that's a risk that most people don't even know they're taking. They don't know the extent of the risk. But the loss tolerance is, is how much are you willing to lose? Now, if I say to you, if you don't sell out, you really haven't lost. It's a paper loss. (laughs) You haven't lost any money as long as you don't sell at the bottom. You know that, or, that, that was another buzz
0: another buzz term that we heard a lot back in the financial crisis, right? Paper loss.
1: Right. because on paper, it looks like you've lost a lot of money. But if you stay the course with your proper allocation and diversification, then the market always comes back. But if you don't give it time to come back and you panic and sell out because you really did not assess the downside risk properly, then you really have locked in a loss. And the loss is actually bigger than the loss that you would realize. So let's say your portfolio is down $50,000 and you sell out. Well, now you've lost the $50,000 and it's called a realized loss and what it could have earned had you stayed the course. So the actual loss is actually bigger. So when I'm talking about risk to people, let's talk about all the different types of risks, market risk, industry risk, company risk, you know, asset class risk, what's normal what's not normal. And then I usually spend a lot of time on the research that says, you know, here's how the market actually works. If you form a portfolio like this with different asset classes and diversification and allocation, properly allocated portfolios, this is the risk. This is your risk tolerance. So when engineers build a building, what do they do? They build in a tolerance for the wind and the ground shifting, especially a really tall building. Yeah you have to build in a tolerance to a portfolio so that here's my range of normal in any given year, it can go from here to here. So why I shouldn't panic because that's normal. And that's what a lot of folks don't understand when it comes to risk is what is normal risk. And what I am finding is a lot of my clients that are, you know, give or take a few years around 60 and getting closer to retirement or in retirement. Yes. They're risk tolerance if you will, is pretty similar as you would expect. But once you understand how the portfolio should work and what is normal and what you're gonna see you know, over time, people do tend to relax and go, okay, I understand this. I'm willing to be a little more aggressive, which a lot of times they don't have to be. But a lot of guys, especially guys that are aggressive, <laughs> it's convincing them they don't really need to be as aggressive to get the kind of return that they're expecting. So when I design a plan it's let's look at expectation and what is normal and what is real and so that your expectation for a return is realistic and then the expectation for the risk up and down is realistic. So and not to get real into technical into numbers I mean I do it on a, a whiteboard it's pretty clear after that that's why I keep the roller coaster picture up it's just easy people get it right away do you want to be on the kitty coaster <laughs> <laughs> are you okay on the anaconda <laughs> oh <So.
0: laughs> uh, that's funny the old anaconda you got to watch out for that coaster yeah, that's right that's a scary one
1: <laughs> lots of loop-de-loops on that one <laughs>
0: yes yes uh, very good well there you go hopefully that's informative uh, a little bit about risk tolerance so it is important it's not the end-all be-all of a financial plan but it does factor into the equation people have different levels of risk tolerance and what yours is does have importance so good to know that term and don't be confused by it if you're working with an advisor who doesn't then explain that term to you That's a problem and something that needs to certainly be addressed as well. If you'd like to get in touch with Janine, talk a little bit about your risk tolerance. You want to find out what your risk tolerance is. Or maybe you're a little bit like Phil and you've got a question about how to, maybe it's not really a financial question. You're just trying to learn, hey, how can I communicate about finances better with a spouse? Maybe it's, you know, you're trying to put together a legacy plan. You don't know how to communicate it properly to the next generation, to your children. That's something that Janine can help and uh, walk you through as well. It all comes down to financial and retirement planning, doing it the right way. And Janine can help you discover the path that's right for you. Every plan is customized, and that's always important to keep in mind. You get in touch a couple of different ways. One is online, theaswealthadvisors.com. Listen to past episodes of the podcast, reach out to Janine, watch some videos, lots of other great stuff there as well, theaswealthadvisors.com. And you can also call 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311. Well, Janine, another one in the books. Thanks so much for your help and guidance. And we'll talk to you again next time.
1: Thanks so much, Walter. It's been great talking with you.
0: Appreciate it as always. That's Janine Thea, I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on Your Financial Mission.